Hello and welcome. This podcast is a production of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, parents, and friends. My name is Susan Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Doc Kelly, the Robert B. Hardaway Jr., Lecturer, lecturer in Personal Finance in the McIntyre School of Commerce at the University of Virginia. Ms. Kelly teaches personal finance and serves as director of the CFA Program Partner Initiative at McIntyre. In this podcast, Ms. Kelly will speak with us about financial lessons we can all learn from the COVID-19 pandemic and the corresponding economic downturn. So thank you, Dot, for being here today. Thanks, Susan. It's great to be here. Thanks. So can you start by explaining what is the biggest financial lesson to learn from the pandemic? So what should people learn and take away from this experience? Well, I hope that the number one lesson that everyone now understands is that each of us needs an emergency fund or a rainy day fund. We have to prepare financially for life's unexpected challenges. There's no two ways about it. Um, sadly, many Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So when the pandemic hit, they had no cushion to fall back on. Now they're behind in their rent, their mortgage and or their student loan payments. And without an, so what we've learned or everyone should now recognize is without an emergency fund, a difficult situation becomes even more so. Yes, absolutely. So how much of an emergency fund should we have? Can you quantify those numbers a bit for us? Sure. It's, um, I like to tell my students that personal finance is personal. So what works, what's optimal for one person may not be optimal for another. But in general, every non-dependent adult, so someone who's graduated from the university, for instance, should have three to 24 months of living expenses for emergencies and or rainy days. Uh, these funds should be held in highly liquid, a highly liquid account, such as uh, for most people, that'll be a savings account or a money market account. If you're a young single adult with no debt and a large supportive network, three months may be sufficient, especially if you, uh, you know, the reason is because if you're young, it might not take you that long to get a new job, generally speaking. Um, the older you are, and the more financial obligations you have, the more you need in your emergency fund. You might, it might take longer to get, to replace your paycheck. Um, mm -hmm. And plus you have more financial obligations, taking care of other people, debt, mortgage payments, et cetera. If you're over 50 or have significant financial obligations, you might want to have uh, 24 or even 30 months of liquidity to uh, see you through an economic downturn and a prolonged period of reduced income. Thank you, that's helpful to quantify that. So do you have any advice on how to build that emergency fund? I would imagine this would take some forethought and planning. Yes, well, when, if, when you're young and you're starting out, you start out with that three months, okay? Um, but the, the way to, how do you get three months? I recommend for everyone that they um, pursue what we call a 50, 20, 30 budget. And that means no more than 50% of your take-home pay that's what you pay, take home after taxes. No more than 50% goes to essentials such as housing, utilities, uh, transport, commuting, transportation, grocery, and insurance payments. So no more than 
unfortunately, a lot of people get uh, buy a lot mm -hmm. more home, have a lot more housing that they need to. They sort of focus on this this uh, number thirty percent, and that is a really that is the ceiling. Okay, that is you really want to keep it below thirty percent. All right, for housing, um, so fifty percent for those essentials. At least twenty percent should go to your financial goals. That's saving for your future and or paying down debt, okay? And the remaining 30% is discretionary. New clothes, dining out, entertainment, travel, et cetera. Young adults who start out with this budget and learn to live by saving 20% towards their financial goals will be able to build an emergency fund and financial wealth over time. You just learn to live within this budget. Even as your income increases, so does your savings and so does your investment in your future. Okay. So the 50, 20, 30 budget, pretty simple. <laughs> All right, great. So um, we've seen some declines in the market. So what lessons should we take away from the market decline from February and March? Uh, the number one lesson uh, to learn from February and March is to breathe and not panic. Okay. When the economy shut down and the stock market swooned in February and March, a lot of people were panicking. Many people were stressing. Some were panicking. Um, it is never a good idea to make a financial decision when you're panicking. Okay. An important lesson for people to know, recognize, is you have to understand your time horizon and invest accordingly. Over the long term, the stock market, uh, I'm sorry, over the long term, that's five years or more, the stock market rises. Um, so the stock market's a good place to invest for future financial needs like kids' education or the second half of your life. Uh, it's not a good place to put your emergency fund or money you need for tuition or a new roof that you're going to need within the next couple of years, right? Um, sometimes, as in 2020, the market re re um, recovers very quickly. That's not always the case. Sometimes it takes longer, and it, it may take as long as five years. And so you don't want to have money in the stock market that you absolutely are going to need before that five-year time horizon. Got it. So, you know, sometimes it's just hard not to stress out. So uh, what is your advice when someone is feeling panicky when the stock market declines? Well, one way to help manage your emotions during periods of stress and uncertainty is to have a long-term financial plan. It doesn't have to be written down, but for some people that is very helpful. But if you know and understand and trust that you have and are following a long-term financial plan, that can help you manage your emotions and navigate short-term periods of uncertainty like we had in February and March. If you panicked in February and March, you sold at the worst possible time of 2020. Um, and really, the, you know, the old saying, buy, buy low, sell high, that's when, how we make money in the market. You buy low and sell high. But many people, because they, they uh, yield to their emotions, they do the exact opposite. They buy high when everybody's talking about how great the market is, and, when panic, and they panic when stocks decline and then sell low. So they're doing the exact opposite. Um, a simple piece of advice from Warren Buffett is um, to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So... Uh, as it turns out, like right now, the market's at an all-time high. Some people are getting in. Well, I'm really fearful right now because people are being greedy. In March, I was starting to get a little greedy because people were panicking and there were a lot more bargains in the stock market. So 
it's it's difficult, but if you can take a deep breath, remember your long-term plan and stick with it, you can get through those short-term periods of um, volatility. Got it. So once someone develops this long-term plan, can they just set it and forget it? If only. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. Uh, once you create a plan, you know, life changes, things change. And once you create a plan, you need to periodically review it and revise it as appropriate. You need to do that at least annually and, and whenever you foresee or experience major life events. Hopefully those major life events are, will be good things like planning to get married or have children or have, have more children um, <laughs> or children graduating and moving, moving into adulthood. Those are all wonderful life events we can plan for. Um, but as we've seen in 2020s, not all major events are predictable. Um, but if we, can, we have to recognize we will have bumps in the road. If you plan ahead and have a rainy day fund available for those bumps in the road, you can navigate those bumps much more easily. And that will, you know, it helps not only your financial well-being, but your, your emotional and physical well-being when you have that, um, that cushion, that financial cushion. Absolutely. So can you share with us some lessons we can learn about risk and market volatility? Sure. So that, you know, February and March, it, the market was extremely volatile and uh, it's been volatile, you know, for the most part, it's been a very volatile year. Um, <laughs> another important lesson is understanding your risk tolerance. And risk tolerance is defined as your willingness and your ability to handle risk. So someone who's under 40 with a stable income, who's contributing to a retirement plan with each paycheck, they have a high ability to accept risk because that money will be invested for 20 years or more. So it will be growing and compounding, preferably in a tax deferred investment account. So that, you know, they can just keep putting that money away and they have a really high tolerance for risk, so they can be very heavily invested in equities. Understanding that the money will grow and compound over time should increase their willingness to accept risk um, and market volatility. If, they're under, if you're under 40 and the stock market declines by 20% and you're still working and contributing to your retirement plan, you're actually buying more shares with the same paycheck contribution than you were before the market declined. So you're actually buying shares on sale if you want if you want to think about it that way. Mm -hmm. What we ca we call that dollar cost averaging. You put in the same amount every time uh, with every paycheck. Sometimes you're buying high, sometimes you're buying low. Overall, you get an average price, and you're going to be in better shape. You're not going to be buying lots of shares high. You're going to buy be buying lots more shares when it's low and fewer shares when it's high. So that works to your advantage. Uh, recognizing that can help give people some, uh, that emotional calm that to help get through the volatility. Um, some people, you know, hopefully that helps. With some people, they can't stand it. So that, uh, some people, some financial professionals say, don't look at your account. If you're going to freak out, don't look at your account. <laughs> I, have, I have very con conflicting emotions about that because, um, Depends who's holding your account. You know, you. Re I think we should all be grown ups and 
be able to uh, look at our accounts and check our accounts and make sure that they are what they should be. Um, gotcha. It's, you know, it, it makes me very nervous if a financial professional says, don't look at your account. I'm like, well, what are they hiding? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what about risk and market volatility for older investors? Great question. So older investors may be pursuing a more conservative or balanced portfolio. Um, they need to be sure their portfolio is within their risk tolerance. The S&P was up 29% in 2019, okay? Just a little, a little more than a year ago. And many portfolios ended the year overweighted in equities. So if you thought you had a balanced portfolio going into 2019, by the end of 2019, you had more of your assets and equities than at the beginning. Um, if you didn't review your plan and your portfolio at the end of 2019, you then therefore probably didn't reallocate your funds in January, like you, like as would have been prudent, okay? And mm -hmm. you were overweighted in stocks. And therefore, the swoon in February, March was more painful than it needed to be. So um, you, if you're older and more conservative, you might want to check on your asset allocation more than once a year. And especially when the market's been moving a lot, okay? If there's a lot of market volatility during the year, you should check your portfolio. Um, for young people who are most, very heavily into equities and almost all equities, which is what I recommend for young people, um, just keep piling it in. Don't, just, don't even worry about that asset allocation. Okay, great. Can you share some other risks that the pandemic has revealed? So the pandemic's given me a very different perspective on employment or income risk. Income risk is the ability to earn a living and a paycheck. And before the pandemic, I thought of income risk mostly in terms of a person's physical and mental ability to work, okay? Maybe it had some, um, had, had to do with family relationships or, or, as well. But as long as someone remains healthy, they should be able to work and earn a stable income, right? Maybe you have family obligations that can interfere as well. But for the most part, if you are healthy and able to work, you can earn some kind of income. To mitigate the risk due to health issues, uh, disability insurance is a, is a good option. And many employers offer disability insurance. I will caution that disability insurance for many employers is only covers two thirds of a paycheck, which is another reason why people need to have a budget that is less than 100% of their take home. Because <laughs> if, you get, if you are disabled, you will not have all that income, all right? You're only gonna have two thirds of income. So, all right, so disability insurance is, is helpful, but, I, uh, but not in this situation. I had, before the pandemic, I had not imagined a scenario in which healthy workers and professionals from waiters to surgeons to entertainers a whole, you know, the, across the mm -hmm. spectrum, healthy people unable to work and suffering from a sudden loss of income due to outside factors. I just, it had never occurred to me. Um, Post-COVID, I now have a better appreciation for how much various people's income and therefore their financial well-being is at risk. Mm -hmm. The pandemic cut 
the income of millions of people at every income level. Um, most people realize that service workers in hotel and food service industries lost income. They may not be aware of millions of people whose work is tied to the entertainment industry, um, who lost income, They're entertainers, musicians, sound engineers, roadies, marketing people, technical people, their accountants, their lawyers, their stagehands, all of these people have lost income. Also, you know, folks are not driving as much. So auto service and auto repair businesses have suffered. The list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing. So I know some people have been very fortunate and been able to maintain their incomes, but for many, the pandemic's been just a terrible blow. So for mm -hmm. me, the lesson is first to be humble and grateful. Uh, and second, it's to maintain a healthy emergency fund, a diversified portfolio, and to maintain and build my human capital. Uh, while the pandemic eliminated the need for certain jobs, it created new needs and new job opportunities. Not, some of them are not as well paying, um, but you know, there, are, there has been an increased need for contract Tra contact tracers, mm -hmm. for delivery people, for mask makers, for virtual tutors. Years, um, but there's, there's opportunity when there's challenges. And if we can stay healthy and get a, adopt a good attitude, we can try and seize on that opportunity. Years ago, my mentor told me to find a need and fill it. And the pandemic changed our view of what it is we need people need. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, something to think about for all of us. So when the vaccine is readily available, do you think we can resume our normal activity? I think life's going to be different. And uh, I think there's going to be a major, uh, well, it'll be interesting. I think everybody's going to be very excited, but I think mm -hmm. we're also going to have a financial hangover. And mm -hmm. I, I think we need to emotionally prepare for that financial hangover. Uh, because whether I think there'll be some euphoria in being able to congregate and socialize and get together again, and uh, but there will be a financial hangover. The pandemic has been incredibly costly for everyone, but it isn't obvious to everyone yet. Um, you know, for some people who've managed to keep their work, and they've actually some people have actually saved money because they aren't dining out, they're not traveling, they're not going to concerts, all that thing. So they're actually have. Uh, a bigger chunk of cash. Um, but there's obviously other people who have suffered and it's not just individuals. At a larger scale, the federal, state and municipal governments, not just of this country, but around the world have all had increased expenses associated with the pandemic. The entire globe, this has cost the entire globe a lot. Um, so, We've had more in increased expenses and at the same time, tax revenues in the US, particularly state taxes are down because more people are unemployed. So they're not paying income taxes. Uh, hotels and restaurants, uh, which collect meals and occupancy taxes are not, you know, are not booked. So they're not collecting those revenues for the states. And some people are actually moving their residences. So that's causing a, a, a pressure on some state revenues. State budgets are severely constrained. It's going to take a while to dig out from this hole financially. Right. Whether even for the people 
who who think that you know they got through without any financial imp implications. Um, it's going to take a while for all of us to work together, and we all have to work together to do this. Absolutely. So our constituents are lifetime learners. So can you suggest the kinds of things we should be paying attention to in order to prepare for or anticipate future challenges? Absolutely. I highly recommend that people watch their media diet and read broadly and critically, all right? Read and th I tell my students, the three most important skills you learn in college are critical reading, critical thinking, and communication skills. So here's an example of critical readings. In last January, I read in that China, the world's second largest economy, had shut down the city of Wuhan with 11 million people, okay? And uh, they, they had extended it actually very shortly into the, uh, to include the entire Hubei province with 60 million people due to this novel coronavirus. I recognized immediately that the government wouldn't do that unless it was extremely serious. So I continued to follow that story. I, sh I shared it with my students. They thought, and I, I asked them to think, why does this matter? Should we care? What is happening halfway around the globe? And the answer is yes, we should, okay? It's a, the globe, we are all connected. And what happens in one area can have an impact on the rest of us. So I followed that story. I watched the drastic action that China was taking. They um, did the, uh, they shut down Hubei province. They built emergency hospitals in a week. Um, China's not entirely transparent, but it was clear from the actions they were taking that this was a serious risk. And given the global economy, it was unlikely to remain contained in China. So. I just kept following the story in the news. Uh, it wasn't very hard, it wasn't buried. It was right there on the front pages of, of certain periodicals. In February, I read that Japan shut all of its schools. And by then I was buying toothpaste and toilet paper and canned goods. So in March, my pantry was stocked when others were not. Um, so reading broadly and critically and thinking about how does this how could this impact me? Will this impact me? Is really important and helps you prepare, plan and prepare, at least mentally, if not financially and uh, physically. You know, you don't have to go out and buy canned goods, but I just thought, well, I think I'll just stock up. So um, I really encourage people to read and think critically about what you're reading. Uh, and that's true about uh, you know, just what's going on in, in, in the U.S., you know, what, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? How could this affect me and my finances? Um, the pandemic, you know, the, we, no one should have been too surprised, mm -hmm. uh, but it would be, it's hard to see how it would roll out. And it's still hard to see how it's going to roll out. We're, right. It's going to be challenging. Yeah, absolutely. All great information there. So finally, our last question, what other lessons did you learn from the pandemic that? I think an important lesson from the pandemic is who in our society is an essential worker. I am eternally grateful to the frontline workers who have ensured that food and other necessities 
are available in stores and, and sometimes at our doorstep, um, as well as the medical teams for all they have done to treat the sick and keep others healthy. Um, it turns out that heroes are among us every day, and I, I think we all are indebted to them, and I really salute them. So to all the UVA grads who are uh, frontline or medical workers, thank you from the bottom mm -hmm. of my heart. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Absolutely, absolutely, Dot. Thank you so much. And you're so right, and we all need to learn and remember that lesson and thank the essential workers and our medical workers among us. So thank you so much, Dot. You've given us so much to think about and to um, really put into our own lives and, and put into, into action. So thank you so much. This has really been helpful. It's my pleasure. Okay, well, great. Well. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to thank everyone for listening. So for upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning programming, recordings, and blogs, please visit our website at alumni.virginia.edu backslash learn. We look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs.